two years after Galwan, just how much has changed in India-China ties and how many lessons really have been learned. Hello and welcome. We're going to ask those questions here on Worldview this week. This is episode 66. I'm Sohasini Heather. Now, the second year anniversary of the Galwan clashes that occurred on the night of June 15, 16, 2020, those passed quietly. No memorials, no speeches. There was one tweet from the defense minister condoling the deaths two years ago. Remember, 20 Indian soldiers were killed brutally that night in fighting with Chinese PLA soldiers, using clubs with spikes, rocks, even drowning in the Galwan River. China has only admitted to four of its soldiers being killed in those clashes. There are believed to be many more casualties at Galwan. Those mark the first deaths in clashes along the India-China boundary since 1975 and since the 1962 war at the LAC along Ladakh itself. Let's just take you through what has happened since 2020 in the two years that have passed. First, certainly, is that no deaths in clashes have occurred since June 2020. There's been jostling, even firing reported between soldiers, but the peace has more or less held. The second, that there have been 15 rounds of border commander talks. Remember, these began after the first sort of skirmishes in 2020. China first amassed its troops along the line of actual control, but they continued despite the Galwan killings. In fact, 10 rounds also of the Multi-Ministerial Working Mechanism on Coordination and Consultation, WMCC, on the India-China boundary have also been held since then. Those talks have all together yielded agreements to demobilize troops from positions along the Pangong Lake, North and South Bank, Galwan itself, at Gogra, what is called PP-15. However, massive troops and infrastructure deployments remain in Depsang, Chumar, PP-17, other areas that are still waiting for resolution. There was one operation in August 2020 called Operation Snow Leopard, where Indian forces overnight took control of points atop what are called the Kailash Ranges on the south bank of Fangong, those hilltops like Rechidla and Rezangla that you may have heard of, but they gave up manning those as part of a package during talks in January 2021. And finally, there's little talk of a reversion of positions to status quo ante pre-April 2020 at present. Then there are other points of the boundary where China had transgressed, including Sikkim and Arunachal. Some relative peace there, but reports of skirmishes, including one in which Indian soldiers captured and then released Chinese soldiers in Arunachal Pradesh. More disquieting, perhaps, Chinese villages that are being settled along the line of actual control using Tibetan, Tibetan people over there in the populations. This is clearly aimed at extending China's claims. Finally, there's a possible deal between China and Bhutan coming up over the boundary in Doklam. This is where India and China had a standoff in 2017. It was felt that India had won that standoff, but clearly since then China has come back. Thirdly, at a ministerial level, External Affairs Minister Jai Shankar and Defence Minister Rajnath Singh have met their counterparts, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi and General Wei Fenghe, on the sidelines of SCO and BRICS meetings over these past two years. NSA Ajit Doval has also spoken to his counterparts over the phone and sidelines of conferences on Afghanistan. In fact, this week, right on the anniversary of the Galwan clash, Mr. Doval attended a BRICS NSA meeting virtually hosted by Chinese State Councillor Yang Jiechi, and then Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi. This was a real one-off. He made a visit to Delhi in March 2020 for one-on-one -on -one direct talks. He met 
the external affairs minister, and he met with the NSA as well. At the leadership level as well, what we have seen in the last two years, Prime Minister Modi and President Xi Jinping, who remember had met 18 times prior to the standoff, have not met or spoken directly even once since April 2020. They have taken part, however, in multilateral conferences and on June 23rd, 24th this month, Prime Minister Modi will attend a virtual BRICS conference hosted by President Xi. Finally, then there is the other actions that India has taken, not at the LAC, but uh, economic actions, for example, banning TikTok, other Chinese apps, putting a go slow on Chinese imports and Indian ports, uh, security restrictions on Chinese FDI, which now needs special clearances as well. In addition, there have been a number of raids, much stricter action on Chinese companies operating in India by the income tax, by the enforcement directorate, by other agencies, something Beijing has protested. And then there were the sporting ties that also took a hit this year when Beijing decided to include a soldier who had fought at Galwan amongst its torch-bearing team for the Winter Olympic Games in February. India announced a diplomatic boycott of the Games and then it did not send any official to the ceremonial events over there. Now, these are some of the events that have taken place. There are also many unanswered questions that remain two years later including what prompted the Chinese move to begin with? Was it part of a general trend of aggression or to stop Indian infrastructure building? Or after the Jammu Kashmir reorganization by India to deter India from attempting to take back Aksai Chin or any other parts of the territory it claims? Second question, why did India give up its best leverage, the Kailash Ranges we just spoke about, in the early rounds of talks and not hold them to later? And what will the impasse in talks, what will make the impasse in talks now end and result in a full demobilization of troops. Will anything, in fact? The third, why is India's response to China continued occupation of land by China and two years after the Galwan clashes? Why is this reaction still so muted compared perhaps to its responses, for example, to the other border with Pakistan? Now, earlier I spoke with uh, my colleague at the Hindu, Anand Krishnan. He has been in Hong Kong and, of course, has covered China extensively over the years. And I began by asking him, really, two years after Galwan, how much more information is there in China about how the clash began, what happened, how many were killed, what is the narrative there? Well, uh, Swasini, two years on from the time the tensions began in the summer of 2020, there's actually very little in the media in China on what's exactly happening on the LEC situation. Uh, if we recall, then in the immediate aftermath of the June 2020 Galwan Valley clash, there was an eight-month gap before China actually sort of came out with a public acknowledgement that it had lost four soldiers. And that was done in February 2021. And since Feb 2021, the sort of narrative has been fairly consistent. The first element to what the official messaging in China says is that everything was sort of the responsibility lies with India. That's something their officials keep repeating. The second point that they keep making is that the boundary situation is not is only one part of the Indian-China relationship. So that's their kind of argument saying that uh, they don't think that this should be linked to other aspects of the relationship, something, of course, that India has rejected. And the third thing is you've seen this huge change, which is this media campaign within China to highlight its military along the LAC. This is something that's fairly new. And over the past year, there's been this campaign to build up support for the Chinese military by highlighting stories about soldiers who have been posted on the border. And in the lead up to the second year anniversary, there's been some amount of that showing the lives of Chinese troops along the LAC. 
And this, Swasini, is a big change from what we've seen in the past. Earlier, you would have Chinese media highlighting, for example, disputes with Japan and the East China Sea with other countries in the South China Sea. But in the last two years, they've brought the LAC situation with India front and center in terms of Chinese military propaganda within China. And I think that is something that's significant and will have a bearing on India-China relations going forward, regardless of how the LAC situation is, is handled. This is a very sort of new element in terms of highlighting support for the Chinese military vis-a-vis the India border. That's something that's new in China. And then 15 rounds of military talks, 10 rounds of the WMCC. These have not resolved issues just yet. So what really is expected at the next round of talks? In terms of where we are in the process, as you said, there have been 15 rounds. And the fact that it's taken so long really shows how slow moving it has become. The fact that I think the Chinese military has really been digging in its heels So far, there was agreement to disengage in Galwan Valley in 2020, where there's a buffer zone that's held up. Similarly, there's a buffer zone in the north bank of Pangong Lake as well, after both sides withdrew in February 2021. They've also withdrawn on the south bank of Pangong Lake. In August last year, there was also an agreement to disengage in Gogra. But since then, there's been no movement on the next sort of area friction point, which is in Hot Springs. And... I think it has come as somewhat of a surprise to the Indian side because there's a political agreement to withdraw from here. But the fact that the Chinese military's demands have asked India to withdraw by a a longer distance while the Chinese wouldn't, I think obviously that's something that's unacceptable to the Indian side. And I think it's come as somewhat of a surprise because there was a little bit of momentum given the previous agreements to disengage and things have suddenly come to a halt. And... I think there's an expectation that both sides will indeed disengage from this patrolling point at Hot Springs. But Suhasini, the, the larger question here is that there still are differences in Demchok and Depsang. And I think we should note that the Chinese side in their public statements have never really specifically mentioned Demchok and Depsang. They have acknowledged differences in Gawan Valley, Pangong Lake, Gogra Hot Springs, but they've never really mentioned Dep- Depsang and Demchok. So whether or not both sides will ever be able to come to an agreement in the near future, I think there's an open question. And of course, that will also lead to questions on what happens to the rest of the relationship, given that India has taken this public position, that until there is complete disengagement in all friction points, there can be no normalcy, whether in terms of, once again, approving Chinese investments into India, which have been on hold, or other aspects of cooperation. And I think that right now, The prospect of that seems quite far off and remote because we are nowhere near complete disengagement, which also means we're nowhere near complete de-escalation. And as we have been reporting as well, two years on, there's much more forward infrastructure than there ever was along the LAC. And I think there's there's a realization now that perhaps they will never be going back to what it was in in times before the 2020 crisis in terms of both sides having some amount of permanent forward presence, which will bring with it new tensions and new concerns and how they manage the boundary. My colleague Anand Krishnan there. Now, even as virtual ties, and we laid them out for you in every bilateral sphere, have been virtually frozen, a number of international events have also affected ties. We can think of four or five major international events, really, that have affected ties. The COVID pandemic, uh, the lockdowns, the lack of bilateral travel between the two countries, India's demand for WHO to have more inquiries into the origins of the virus. These are all things that China has opposed. 
these have impacted bilateral ties clearly more tension second afghanistan india china's old plan remember of cooperating on afghanistan as agreed to by prime minister modi and president xi has been shelved post galwan both sides also had a very different response to the taliban takeover of kabul india pulled out its embassy from there china has remained there and remained engaged however over the last year they have both worked with central asian countries at the sco in particular but other forums as well and india is now planning a reentry into afghanistan uh, the third is the us's new initiatives in the indo pacific particularly in the last year since president biden came to power in fact all of these initiatives have been meant to raise the us's profiles in the indo pacific region which really seeks to counter chinese influence there including more summits of the quad countries that began last year the launch of the aukus the australia uk us alliance for nuclear powered submarines in the indo pacific and the launch of the indo pacific economic forum a few weeks ago which we've spoken about here on worldview Uh, this has also prompted strong reactions from Beijing that accuses Washington of trying to drive a wedge between China and India. The fourth is really the Russian invasion of Ukraine. This has put India and China strangely on the same side, although their positions differ in terms of degree. Both have refused to condemn Russian actions. They have abstained on practically the same votes at the United Nations and Human Rights Council. They've looked for ways to circumvent the sanctions through economic mechanisms. and both have become very important consumers of russian oil that has been banned by the us restricted by european countries china for example is the biggest consumer it takes about 1.6 million barrels of russian crude oil a day india which was not a major consumer has increased its purchases rose from 100000 barrels per day in february to 370000 barrels a day in april to more than four times and then to more to nearly nine times in may 870000 barrels a day of russian crude oil as a result oil price rises as well that we have been seeing have led to inflation and an international economic downturn so this is the fifth big event these have arisen of course both from the pandemic as well as from sanctions against russia but it's going to mean that india remains dependent on cheap chinese imports china will also be seeking more ways to increase trade in a market as big as india despite the security crackdowns in fact look at the numbers indian trade with china was more than 125 billion dollars in 2021 it's up from much less in fact it's up from about 92.8 billion dollars in 2019 867.6 billion dollars in 2020 Meanwhile rising fears in the neighborhood about prolonged economic distress and we've seen government changes prompted by that in Pakistan in Nepal and Sri Lanka clearly this demonstrates the paradox of just how we look at two years of galwa on one side not much has changed on the ground yet in fact the whole world has changed in these past two years and certainly india china ties have changed completely and are not expected to go back to the past at any time in the foreseeable future the galwan clashes will overshadow ties for a long time to come so the government must never forget what happened nor must it ignore the lessons from the tragic deaths of 20 indian soldiers that day and let's take you through some of our reading recommendations for you some have come before as well i had spoken of sham saran's book how china sees india and the world this is the second the first was how india sees how india sees the world This, these are both very important books on the past and future of india china ties in fact i spoke to 
Mr. Saran about two years of Galwal and for the Hindu on books podcast as well. You can take a listen if you go to our website. Then we just saw my colleague Anand Krishnan. He's the author of two books, India's China Challenge and one that he co-authored with my other colleague, Stanley Johnny, about Afghanistan, China's engagement in Afghanistan called Comrades and Mullahs. Then have a look at the history of the LAC conflict. And I would certainly suggest going to the source, to the archives. And there are three books that are all heavily researched, really, on and based on the archives. The first is The Fractured Himalay, India, Tibet, China, 1949 to 1962. This is by former Foreign Secretary Nirupama Rao, who has been based in China as well. Uh, the next book is called Nehru, Tibet and China by Aftar Singh Basin. He is a treasure trove, really, on archives. He's written many books that look at the MEA's own archives, go through them in detail and put them together. Very important books by him. And thirdly, by an equally important author, A.G. Nurani, who has written India-China Boundary Problem, 1846 to 1947. So this is all about getting a deep dive into the India-China boundary problem that we are seeing till today. The, some other books that I have possibly spoken about in the past is India versus China, Why They Are Not Friends by Kanti Bajpai. It really takes a very bleak look at the future of India-China relations. His prognosis is that they can't be friends. There's another book on the economic side called China and India, Asia's Emergent Great Powers. This is by Chris Ogden. And finally, Full Spectrum, India's Wars, 1972 to 2020. So it's pretty up-to-date by Arjun Subramanian. The book had come out some time ago, but now it's out in faith on that. We certainly hope you do enjoy our reading recommendations and write in with some of yours. That's it on Worldview from the team here. Thanks for watching.